the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Faith.com. W262CP, Bayonet Point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Sometimes we make very rash and hasty decisions because we feel like nobody appreciates us, nobody really cares. I've got to do this for me. I've been a servant long enough, and where has it gotten me? Nobody cares. Decisions. We make them every day. But what is the basis of a good decision, and how do we see a bad decision coming before it's too late? Welcome to Verse by Verse. As we continue our study of the life of David, Pastor Steve Kreloff will consider those questions. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We are several weeks into this series of Bible lessons about David. Today we will be starting in 1 Samuel chapter 27. Let's begin our lesson. Several years ago, a book was was written entitled Decision Making and the Will of God. And obviously it was about decision making and God's will and it was to guide Christians in making wise decisions in light of the, the will of God. However, the truth of the matter is, as most of us know, that many believers solve their problems and make decisions out of the will of God. I mean, just out of God's will, just some poor decision-making uh, uh, approaches. And that's, that's reality. And here's how, how it works, and here's usually the reason why. For us, problems build up Seems like there are some circumstances that are overwhelming. Things appear quite gloomy. We're not sure what to do. So we make a decision. And uh, it's usually the wrong one. Or many times it's the wrong one. And we see that later on. And uh, we're down. We're not sure what to do. Things just mount up on us, build up on us, and we, we make the wrong decision. And usually we're in a worse state than we were before. Now that is, that is typical of many of us making poor decisions. So how can we learn how to solve our problems and make the right decisions in God's will? Well, this morning, we're going to study a period of time in in King David's life, actually before he was the king, but in David's life, when he made a decision out of the will of God, not in the will of God, but out of the will of God, and we want to learn from his mistakes. And so I invite you to turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 27. Now what we're going to do this morning is look at chapter 27. We're going to skip over 28 because that's the story of Saul and his encounter with the witch of Endor. And then we're going to look at some verses from chapter 29 as well as 30. So we're going to cover a broad uh, range of chapters here. And in these chapters, we learn about that time in David's life when he decided to escape from King Saul 
And so he left the land of Israel and went to the land of the Philistines. And that was a bad decision. In fact, if you look at 1 Samuel chapter 27, verse 1, it said, Then David said to himself, Now I will, will perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than to escape into the land of the Philistines. Saul then will despair of searching for me anymore in all the territory of Israel, and I will escape from his hand. Now, this, this was a bad move. This was really a bad move. It was completely out of the will of God. Now, why do I say that? How do we know it was out of the will of God? Because time and again, God said in the Old Testament, especially under the law, that the children of Israel were not to have fellowship with the Gentile enemies around them, with their Gentile neighbors, because God wanted them to be a separate people. God didn't want them to learn the wicked ways of the Gentiles, and so they were to be separate. It was a, uh, the land of the Philistines was a land of idolatry, a land of wickedness, and God had said many times in the law, stay away from them. Why did David do this then? Why did David make such a bad decision? And it really was a bad decision, and it's going to lead to more bad decisions. It's just a bad time in his life. Now, why did he try to solve his problems out of God's will? Well, if we can learn the answer to that question, we can prevent ourselves from making bad decisions. There are a lot of Christians who just make the wrong decisions. And they have uh, a lot of the problems is not, uh, are, are not anything except that these are the consequences of bad decisions. So this morning, we're going to glean from these chapters principles about how to avoid making poor decisions and solving problems out of the will of God. So how do you know if you're making a bad decision out of the will of God? Or if you already have made a bad decision out of the will of God, if you're about to or if you're going to. I would encourage you to take some notes. We're going to look at three ways you can know if you're making, about to making a decision out of the will of God or you have made one out of the will of God and you need to get out of that and repent. Number one, you know you're making a bad decision if it is, first of all, based on self-pity. If it's based on feeling sorry for yourself. That's a tremendous, tremendous truth. And a lot of believers do fall into the, the pit of despair where they're depressed, they feel sorry for themselves, they feel, woe is me, nobody understands my problems, nobody knows what I'm going through, and if anybody did know what I'm going through, they wouldn't care anyway. We see this in, in verse 1. Let me read it again. Then David said to himself, Now I'll perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than to escape into the land of the Philistines. Saul then will despair of searching for me anymore in all the territory of Israel, and I will escape from his hand." That's a verse packed full of information. From this verse, we learn that David made a decision one day. He decided this was a choice he made. Nobody forced him to do this. He made a decision to flee from the land of Israel to the land of the Philistines. But not only are we told that he made this decision, this verse gives us insight into his thinking process. What was it that, that led up to this decision? What was his rationale for this? In other words, we're told how he arrived at his decision, his thought-making process. It says, he said to himself, this is what went on in his mind. This is what he was thinking. This is how he reasoned things out in his mind. David, it says, based his decision on the thought that, that if he didn't go to the land of the Philistines, Saul would kill him in the land of Israel. So it's better to live in the land of the Philistines than die in the land of Israel. That was, his, that was his thinking. Now, I want you to know, folks, that this is the thinking of a man 
who has uh, really gotten his eyes off of the Lord. His eyes are not on the Lord, and he's involved in a, in a little, what we'd call a little pity party for himself. He's feeling sorry for himself. This is a man who uh, has gone through many trials. It's been a long time that he's been chased by Saul, and he's feeling lonely. He's feeling rejected. He's feeling isolated. And why do I say this? Why, why do I say that he's feeling sorry for himself? Well, several reasons. Number one, the language of the Psalms that he wrote about this time would indicate and reveal uh, that he was going through a time of self-pity. The language of the Psalms would reveal a tone of sadness, depression, feelings of isolation. His Psalms reflect a feeling of being forsaken by God and forsaken by men. And I want you to see this. In Psalm, for example, Psalm 10. In Psalm 10, verse 1, now this would be about the time that David was thinking like this, or he decided to go to uh, the country of the Philistines. Verse 1, why dost thou stand afar off, O Lord? Why, God, are you away from me? Why do you feel so far away? You feel so remote to me. Why are you standing afar off? Tone of sadness. God, why are you rejecting me? Psalm 13 Psalm 13, verses 1 and 2. How long, O Lord, wilt thou forget me forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? God, how long do I have to go through this? I feel like I'm isolated from you. I feel like uh, my enemy's triumphing over me. What's going on? Why? How long? Then Psalm 22, which is a messianic psalm. That is to say that that David, by the spirit of God, was prophesying the death of Christ. But also David, in his own experience, was going through something like this. Exactly what the circumstances were, we're not sure. But notice he says, and this is really the epitome of expressing being forsaken by God. Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And once, I, once again, it's prophetic in nature because that's what the Lord Jesus cried on the cross. But that's how David felt as well. Why have you forsaken me? He's feeling rejected, isolated, alone. In David's mind, he's feeling sorry for himself. After all, he's done everything that God wanted him to do. He turned the other cheek and left Saul, uh, let Saul escape. He didn't kill Saul when he could have. He's really been obedient He's honored the Lord, but you know what? He's still a fugitive. No matter what he does right, he's still on the run. And it only seems to be getting worse. Things haven't gotten any better, and God seems to be nowhere. God, I've obeyed you, and nowhere. Ever felt like David? Sure, most of us have at one time or another, and probably a lot more than one time, that feeling, God, where are you? I know your word says this, that you're with me, but God, I have tried to honor you, and, and where do I get? Where, where's my life going? Nothing's changed. I'm still, still in the same set of rotten circumstances. God, where are you? You seem to be hiding from me, so remote, I, I feel forsaken by you. I feel like my prayers are not getting any higher than the ceiling, and uh, God, I am really, really down. And that's where David was. So the Psalms indicate that David was in the pit of despair, self-pity, pity pity party. Secondly, 
We know that David was having a pity party because he's totally pessimistic. This is a pessimistic man. Because in his reasoning, his attitude is, poor me. Poor me. Look at me. Um, I'm, I'm, Saul's going to kill me if I stay here. And uh, I don't want that. I'm, I'm, uh, uh, nothing's going right in Israel. So I think I'll, I'll be better off in the Philistine country. And it's, it's just a pity party. Chuck Swindoll, in one of his commentaries, says this, that David had his paintbrush out and he was painting his horizon black. Now, that's a pessimistic man, and that's what David is. You know what? He has got, and those of you who appreciate Winnie the Pooh would know that he's got the Eeyore complex. You know Eeyore? Eeyore's just a pessimist. Thanks for noticing. You know, that type of thing. I'm leaving Israel because Saul's going to kill me. And uh, you know know what? Uh, I would like to say, excuse me, David, but uh, I seem to recall that there's no reason for your pessimism. I seem to recall that God has told you very clearly and on a number of occasions that you are the next king of Israel. Saul's not going to kill you. I seem to recall that God has given you a clear word from heaven that you are the next king to sit on the throne. I seem to recall that God said it through Samuel. He said, David, you're going to be the next king. I've anointed you. Through Jonathan, his best friend, he said that you are heir to the throne, not me. Though I'm the son of the king, it's you and I'll follow you. I seem to recall that Abigail said, you're the next king of Israel. And even Saul told you that you were his replacement. Your enemy said that he knows you're his replacement. David, you have no reason to be pessimistic. God has given you his word of hope. Why are you in such despair? You know, like David, very much like David, we often make decisions based on feeling sorry for ourselves. We really do. We're tired of facing what we feel are uh, insurmountable problems, and we become obsessed with self-pity. It's a, it's a self-centeredness. It's a selfishness. We see nothing else but what we're going through and nobody cares. And when you do this, you really leave God out of the picture. You leave God out of the decision-making process. And this is what David did. Notice in verse 1, it says that David said to himself. Now, that ought to give you an indication there's a problem right away. Because David, we're never told, prayed about this. I mean, this is a big move. This is leaving Israel. David never prayed about this, never consulted with the Lord, never sought the Lord uh, to see if there was a word from God concerning whether he should flee or not. He made this decision on his own. He said to himself, this is what I think I ought to do. It's as if God doesn't exist. Why? Because David was absorbed with self-pity. And when you're absorbed with self-pity, you are absorbed with self. And you leave God out. You leave God out of the picture. You see, when your thoughts are foremost about yourself, your problems, your fears, your anxieties, your feelings, then it's easy to lose perspective of who God is and what his word has to say. You don't think about that. And that's where we run into some bad decisions that we make. Because then you're going to make your decisions based upon your personal needs or what you perceive to be your personal needs, rather than what is it that honors the Lord? What does the Lord want me to do? We really, um, it's as if God just doesn't exist because I'm going to do what I think is best for my own survival. And that's a dangerous place to be in. And that's why we make bad decisions out of the will of God, because we're not concerned about the will of God. We're concerned about surviving, emotionally surviving. 
See, self-pity clouds clear thinking. It just clouds uh, thinking about what to do. And that's where David's at. He's not thinking clearly about God's promises to him and how God delivered him in the past. You know how we know how clouded his thinking is? He's headed not just to the land of the Philistines. He's headed to an area of, uh, known as Gath. Remember who came from Gath? That was Goliath who came from, from Gath. Just a few years ago, David was saying, calling Goliath and all of his people uncircumcised Philistines. And now he wants to live amongst them. He's not thinking clearly. He's, he's not really together in his mind. That's self-pity. Nobody cares. Nobody knows the troubles I've seen. And nobody cares about that. That's self-pity. So if you want to know if you're about to make a bad decision or if you have already made one, then you need to check to see if you've based it on feelings of of self-pity. Sometimes we make very rash decisions, very rash and hasty decisions because we feel like nobody appreciates us, nobody really cares, I've got to do this for me, I've been a servant long enough, and where has it gotten me? Nobody cares. Well, you know, if that's the case, then you need to confess that as sin, because it really is sin. It really is sin, and uh, blessed is the friend who will tell you that it's sin, or the spouse who will tell you that it's sin. It is sinful self-pity, it is self-centeredness, and then not only confess it, but force yourself to start serving other people and get back to serving. Because if you think that you've served enough, then you haven't served enough. You don't reach a point where you say, well, I've, you know, I tried that. I tried being a servant. We're called to be a servant. And God knows. And, and when David said, why have you forsaken me? God had not forsaken him. David just thought that God had forsaken them. And when you think your prayers aren't getting any higher than the ceiling, that's not necessarily the case. And when you think you're isolated and nobody really cares, God cares. And this is just part of the training process for you to be a servant. So you want to be careful about that. You know you're making a bad decision if it's based on self-pity. Secondly, you know you're making a bad decision if you evaluate your decision based solely on positive results. You know you're making a bad decision or you have made it if it's based in your evaluation, if it's based upon positive circumstances. Let's look at verses two through seven. So David arose, crossed over he and the 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. And David lived with Achish at Gath, he and his men, each with his own household, even David with his two wives. We didn't we didn't go over this the other week, but uh, remember Nabal who died? David said, I like Abigail. I think I'll marry her. So she becomes his wife. Uh, uh, Ananoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the Carmelitess, uh, Nabal's widow. Now, now it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he no longer searched for him. Then David said to Achish, if now I have found favor in your sight, let them give me a place in one of the cities in the country that I may live there. For why should your servant live in the royal city with you? So Achish gave him uh, Ziklag that day. Therefore, Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. And the number of days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. Now, what these verses reveal is that after David made his decision to live amongst the Philistines, some really good things happened to him. I mean, really good things. Number one, Saul stopped chasing him and the pressure was off and David felt relieved. 
Must have. Number two, he was accepted by the king of Gath. Now, remember, this is the same king who years ago, David feigned insanity in front of him. And he drooled and dribbled. And and the guy said, I have enough madmen in my country. Get him out of here. But now it's been a few years. And probably he accepted David because now he knew for certain that David was Saul's enemy. And the king was Saul's enemy. So he said, hey, it's good to to have you here. In fact, it's so good to have you here. I'm going to give you your own city with your men. And he gave him a city. He, he gave him a city. He had lived in the royal city. David asked for another city. And, uh, you know, this is, these are really good things. And David must have thought, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. The king couldn't stand me before. Now he gives me a whole city. It's a miracle. Now, what makes this incident so interesting is that uh, when David made this bad decision, out of the will of God, initially, things seemed to get better. In fact, they did get better. They did get better. And David might have concluded, and probably did conclude, as many of us do, that when we make a bad decision, that we've done the right thing. Because look, if God wasn't in it, why would all these good things be happening? It must be a sign. It must be a sign. Must have thought that God was blessing him, and and what Achish the king did, or the king of uh, Achish the king of Gath did, must have been a miracle. Look at this. I must be in the will of God. Listen, absolutely wrong. Absolutely wrong. To evaluate a decision that you've made based solely on results or circumstances is just wrong. And it will lead to erroneous conclusions. And that's where a lot of people are. There are a lot of Christians who are somewhat superstitious. They may not call it that, but they really are. Because if I do this and good things happen here, it must be God's will. That's a silly way to determine the will of God. A silly way. Uh, You must never interpret your decisions based solely on good circumstances. And, and let, me, let me tell you why. Let me give you an illustration about this. Several years ago, a woman that I knew divorced her husband. Uh, it was a bad marriage, very turbulent marriage, and uh, unhappy marriage, but she had no scriptural grounds to divorce her husband. And uh, she was confronted about this, and she did it anyway. And... Uh, Later, she said, after the divorce went through, she said, it must be God's will. And you know why? She thought it must be God's will because I have so much peace. And what she was saying is, I have God's peace on this. I I really have peace. Now, she didn't have God's peace. God never gives peace about violating his will. What she had was called emotional relief. That's what she had. She was just out from under the stressful situation she had been in for years. She was just away from a very difficult marriage, and she felt better. I think David must have thought something like that. This must be God's will because I'm feeling so much better. I don't have to run around the country escaping this madman. That's not God's peace. You see, that's emotional relief. Be very careful about that. But that's how a lot of Christians think, and it's wrong. There are all kinds of ways to rationalize away decisions that are out of God's will. When, when, when you look to circumstances as the sole indicator, for example, uh, someone makes a bad decision. It violates the word of God. But you know what? Initially, they're making more money than ever. And they go, hey, I'm making more money than ever before. It must have been God's will. God is blessing me. Well, maybe Satan's blessing you. Maybe you're just making more money. Or it must be God's will because I'm feeling so much better. Or how about, and I've heard, I've heard of this, when someone gets in a, a divorce situation, someone will say, you know, it must be God's will because the kids are doing so much better now. 
They were doing poor before, but they're doing so much better now, so I'm, uh, I'm affirmed in what I did was right. Well, that's not the way you, you do it. That's not the way you do it. So not only do we know that from illustrations and we know that from the word, but also there is another, there's another Bible character who illustrates that circumstances cannot be relied upon to determine if you're in God's will. Remember the prophet Jonah? Remember Jonah, that rotten prophet? God said, Jonah, I want you to go east. I want you to go east to Nineveh. It, it's just directly east, and I want you to preach to these people to repent. And you know what Jonah did? He went west. He went just the opposite. He went to a seaport city named Joppa, right near modern-day Tel Aviv. And, uh, and Jonah found a, a ship that was going real far to the west. You know what? Jonah might have said, it must be the will of God or else this ship would not have been here. But this ship was here. See, you cannot allow circumstances to determine the will of God for you. Circumstances may be good, but you still may be out of God's will. It looked like Jonah had peace about his decision, too. He was sound asleep when the storm came, and that is not a sign of a troubled person. Pastor Steve Kreloff will continue our lesson about decision-making on the next verse-by-verse. These daily Bible lessons are on the air by the grace of God and the generous gifts of our listeners. Learn more about us at our website, versebyverseradio.org. Two indicators of a bad decision are that... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.